0: Shalom and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural and growing messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Wygon. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 1040 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: Well, friends, I'd like to share something with you uh, from the Word of God. And the Word of God is immense. I mean, think about it. How many of you actually love the Scripture? I mean, I hope that that's a, a fair question in a congregation like this that you love the scripture. The scripture, the Bible, different ways. You know, you have the Tanakh, the Berit Chodesha, uh can be, can be described, this, this book can be described in many different ways. And I'd like to list for you a few of the ways that I've heard it described over the years. It's been described as a history book. It's been described as a prophetic book. It's been described as a book of wisdom. It's been described as a treasure trove of fine literature. Some have described it as God's love letter to his people. And others have noticed that it seems to be a record of relationships. When you think about it, there's a lot of relational uh, material within the scriptures, both in the Tanakh and the Brit Chalashah. And... It's also a handbook of communication because without some type of communication or some form of communication, one could argue that we wouldn't have the scripture at all, that God's word was communicated to his people. Uh, Special uh, individuals received his word, the prophets of Israel, some of whom I mentioned that will be studied on Tuesday evening. And this last way to describe it as a book that deals with communicating or communicating with humankind by God or a book or a handbook of communication, to me that's a very intriguing idea because let's face it, in our everyday lives we encounter communication. We start out virtually every day with some form of communication. We may talk, if we're married, we may talk to our spouse. Boker good morning, whatever we say. Uh, We, sometimes we're communicating on our phones. I hope it's not now that you're doing that, but communicating on our phones. We're texting. We're doing all types of communication. And when you think about it, we don't really get how much communication we're doing. And it's not all verbal. It can be in other forms. Have you ever communicated something by just a look of your eyes? Parents use that all the time with children. (laughs) They give their children the look. (laughs) And you can do that in a positive way. You can do that also in, in, in another way that gets the point across that maybe they're not quite acting the way you would like them to, or they've been trained to, or they've been taught to. There are many ways to communicate. You can communicate things. I, I know this is kind of bland thing to say, but you can communicate with messages on a T-shirt. Some that I've seen over the years I didn't wish I hadn't seen. I remember years ago seeing a T-shirt in Israel. Actually, I can remember the year. It was 1975, and I remember where it was. It was in Pedach Tikva in Israel outside of Tel Aviv. And I saw a T-shirt, it wasn't worn by an Israeli, it was a tourist was wearing it. And it had all these Hebrew letters on it, like 22 of them. And I couldn't figure out, I, I was trying to read it and I just couldn't figure out, it made no sense. And then I realized that the T-shirt had the Aleph Bet of Hebrew backwards, <laughs> So whoever created that, whenever you stood before the mirror, you saw it correctly. When you didn't, it was just a bunch of gobbledygook. And I was gnashing my teeth trying to figure out what that said. I forgive that tourist right here and right now for doing that to me. We communicate so often with a glance, with an attitude, with a word, with an uplifted voice, or with a whisper we communicate. Your life is full of communication. And we shouldn't be surprised that God, who's the master of the universe, that God was able to communicate what he wanted to individuals that he chose. Hence, back to our original topic, we have the scriptures. How many of you are glad for the scriptures today? I am exceedingly glad for them. I I prepare myself for a message like this, but I also have a whole separate other thing that I do devotional that I never share with you. I hope you have a devotional life. I have a devotional life with pad and pencil and writing down things in Hebrew and English, sometimes Greek, and I have a total devotional life that's not geared towards trying to present a message all the time. Friends, we all need to have a devotional life with the Lord, where we are daily delving into his word. Now, when we think about the idea of communication, and maybe try to describe what comes to our minds when we think of communication, we may come up with some unusual descriptives. Communication can be tricky. That might not have been the first one you thought of. But I think you would agree that at times communicating can be a very tricky premise. It can also be difficult. It can be a joyous thing. How lovely Manavua, harim how lovely on the mounts are the feet of those who are who are proclaiming good news. That's a joyous type of communication. And as Proverbs 25, 25 tells us, how, how, how good a word is that we receive from a long distance when we receive that word, how refreshing that word is. Communication can have many angles to it. Some people are good and effective communicators, but I've found over the years, and you may agree with this, maybe not, but I've found over the years that all of us lack at times in our communication abilities. We may be confronted with a situation or an event or something that comes into our lives and we just don't know what to say. Have you ever been speechless about something? You just don't know what to say. And sometimes that happens when in a time of mourning when someone has this tragic thing happen to them and you are part of their life and you just don't know what words to use. Oftentimes, in those type of situations... Tears communicate something. We're to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, even as we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Communication, good effective communication, may include things like making time to speak to someone. I say making time because oftentimes we actually have to work at it to make time to communicate with someone. Husbands and wives, please make sure you make time for one another to communicate, to do that. I know years ago, and I've mentioned this before, some of you may recall this, but years ago I had to go on a trip, and it was to Orlando, Florida, and it was business, by the way, and I never got out of the hotel. But I had to go on a trip, and at the last minute I was so so involved with everything I was doing there for, for this uh, And and I hadn't gotten any gifts for my wife and daughter. Our two older sons were already out of the house. And I didn't want to come back. I mean, they they were part of this too. I mean, I was gone for five days, I think, and they were holding the fort. How many of you have heard that expression, holding the fort, while I was gone? And I didn't know what to do, and I was running late. I had to catch this plane. I didn't want to get stranded in Orlando, Florida. I wanted to get back here to OKC, and the only thing i do is I ran across the street from the hotel, and there was a, a, um, a Walgreens or some type of a pharmacy there, and I ran in, and the only thing I could see were, were these little cups, <laughs> coffee cups. So I grabbed two of those matching, and I brought them home, and I gave one to Miriam and the other to me. And that turned out to be one of the wisest things because it started us talking every morning over coffee and recognizing that we could speak to each other every morning over coffee. It became our coffee clutch thing. <laughs> Making time to speak and also involves taking time to listen. Have you ever had someone speak to you and you really didn't even want to listen to them? It can be a supreme sacrifice to listen to someone when you've got other things on your mind. Now, the scripture is very clear about, it says, be careful what you listen to. I don't have a high toleration for gossip and talking about other people. I hope you don't have a high toleration for that. Uh, I don't prefer to pass on bad things that I hear about other people. I'm not interested in passing those things on. I hope you're not either. I've found that half the time they're not true. Half the time they're partially true. And, you know, as as the coin shows us every time, and you may have coins in your purse or your pocket right now, there are two sides to every coin. And someone says, well, it's all heads. Well, really, there's a tails involved too. I just don't have time for that. And I hope you don't make time for gossipy stuff. Sometimes... We just have to get, be able to get the attention of a person that we want to listen to. us. How many of us have seen or maybe you've experienced in your own life or maybe you were part of this with a, a child grabbing the hold of, of the, the mother's skirt or the, the father's pant leg and trying to get their attention? And the, the parents way up here and the child's down here trying to get the attention, trying to communicate something, maybe not having all the verbiage but trying to get the attention of the person that they wanted to listen to them. And we know that that can be very frustrating when you're trying to get someone to listen to you and they just don't want to. It also involves speaking the correct language. I found this out very easily. We were driving, we had uh, taken a trip to Auschwitz, uh, Poland uh, a few years back with our family. It was an important trip for us in many ways. And I realized I didn't know any Polish at all, none. I also realized that we were using GPS and the person that was on the jeep was a, a, a lady from English, it was a British voice, and I realized I don't always understand British English that well either. And then I realized I didn't know how to count, because he said, when you get in the roundabout, I didn't know what a roundabout was, but when you get in the roundabout, take the third exit. You know, depending on where you start counting, I could have went all day in the roundabout. (laughs) Thankfully, we didn't. And the signs were no help, they were all in Polish finally we could see one that seemed to say Auschwitz on it so we followed that and thankfully I'm here today to say that we arrived and we got there but you want to speak the correct language it's more than just you know, whether one speaks a Portuguese or Spanish there, there are other things that we'll talk about in a minute that's important with the communication you want to use words and speak them in a manner that's decipherable to the person who's listening to you If you go up to them and say, how are they going to know what you're talking about? You don't want to be so caffeined up that they can't come down to your level or get up to your level. You want to speak clearly. Husbands and wives, make sure you communicate. Friend to friend, be sure you take time to communicate. It will pay dividends for you. You know what? It will actually save you time. And can I use this Jewish word? Soros. Troubles, if you take, if you listen and take time to communicate, and you want to have the right emotions and the correct emphasis connected to your words. Recently, we were in a restaurant, and they had a, um, you know, a sign that um, was constantly changing, of course, they were hawking their menu items, but the, 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 it, one of the things that popped up on their electronic sign was this. It says, the comma is important. Comma meaning that little thing we use in punctuation. How many of you know what a comma is? Yes, we do. It says the comma is important. And then underneath it, there were three words repeated. One with a comma and one without the comma. It said, the the one without the comma said, no more margaritas. Now remember, this is a Mexican restaurant. They're trying to sell their goods. So it said, no more margaritas. And then underneath it had the same three words with the comma. It said, no more margaritas. (laughs) I won't tell you where that restaurant is, but it is over at Lake Hefner, and it (laughs) rhymes with... Mama Rojas. <laughs> but I won't tell you where it is. <laughs> but there says, the comma is important. That was the headline. No more margaritas. No more margaritas. So with communication, be careful what you're emphasizing. You know, can I say it this way? Although spoken language, we don't necessarily see all the commas, but the comma, the pause, can be important. Make sure you're, what you're saying is, is decipherable and make sure your words have the right emphasis, the correct emphasis. And I believe God's word has the correct emphases. It points out to us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not only does it point that out, but if you read Romans chapter 3, it continually mentions there is none righteous, no, not One. Isaiah 53 says, we've all like sheep gone astray and turned every one of us to our own way and the Lord has laid on him. So the question becomes, who's the him? The him is Yeshua, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And we want to make sure when we communicate that we're saying the right words in the right context. Has anyone ever come up to you and said something at the wrong time? You know, if you're in a house of mourning, you don't come in there and strike up the band, (laughs) you know, or, or say, Well, I'm so glad you're in this situation, bro. You don't do that. You have to be sensitive, you have to be careful. Use the right words in the right context, and I believe Scripture does this over and over again. If if the Bible is a book of communication, it is a very successful book of communication. And many of us here listening to these words, we have many passages of scripture we've memorized that have become, as it were, a light for our path, a lamp for our feet. The right words in the right context, using the right language. And all these type of things are connected with communication. And the Bible is a book of communication. God communicating with us his principles, his word. This reminds me of an event that happened in the Ramatagolan in the Golan Heights in 1979. It happened to a friend of mine. He told me the story. It's actually quite humorous, but the uh, ramifications were pretty serious. My friend was a person that loved nature. Any nature lovers out here? Probably most of us. He really loved nature. He was from the United States, from uh, the um, Appalachian area, Appalachian mountain area the United States. He loved nature. He was um, studying in Israel at the Institute of Holy Land Studies in Jerusalem. And he took a trip up to Ramatagolan, to the Golan Heights, which is this beautiful area There. And he loved to hike, he loved to do off-trail stuff, he, he, anything with nature he liked. That was how he was raised, spent most of his days in the woods or in his father's fields working. So he saw this beautiful section of the Golan Heights, and he, he parked his rental car, he got out. And he, he, he climbed over the fence and he started walking across the field. He was so thrilled. He was the only one there. There was no one else there. He had the whole beautiful scene to himself. Of course, his car was parked on the side of the road in the Golan Heights. And he was telling me how he got out into the field somewhat. And he said, all these crazy people started yelling at me as they drove by. So there he is. He's walking through these fields, these beautiful fields in the Golan Heights, and he can't understand. He's a really nice, laid-back guy. Can't understand why they're yelling at him. They're literally rolling their window down and screaming something out at him. And he couldn't figure it out, so he's walking along. He's having a good time, enjoying nature, stopping, looking at the plants, taking photos, looking ahead. And then someone, they had been saying something to him in Hebrew, but he didn't understand. But then someone came by and they yelled something he did understand. They had the correct language, the only language he spoke was English. And they yelled out one compound word to him, and the word was minefield. The Israelis that had been going by had been yelling Mokshim, Mokshim to him and he didn't understand that word. But the one English language word, that big word minefield, he said when he heard that word, suddenly it all came together. <laughs> he told me he's hilarious. He told me he stopped in his tracks minefield he stopped in his tracks and then he looked around and he said he did a pinpoint turn not moving his feet and he tried to follow his every step back and obviously uh, he did survive because he was there to tell me this story firsthand you know, communicating involves using the right word, speaking the right language to people. Do you believe God speaks the right language in the scripture? He does. He speaks the language of truth. He doesn't tell sinners that sinners are going to be okay. He uses the language of truth when he tells those who trust in the Lord it's going to be better for them. Many passages of scriptures state something similar to that. He speaks the language of love when he tells us that he loved us so much that he sent his son, Yeshua, to die for us. He speaks the language of hope when he says that whosoever believes in his son shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. The language of eternal hope. What do we speak to people? Sometimes our mannerisms say something. Our tone of voice. Are we correctly communicating? If, you're studied, if you've studied Proverbs, you see quite readily as you study Proverbs that there are continuous passages about the words and tongue and lips and everything connected to verbal communication. Well... This story, true story that happened to my friend in the Golan Heights with the minefields, there are a lot of lessons from this story, I believe. For example, communication can, can I borrow the term? Communication can be at times a minefield. I mean, think about it. Because one goal of good communication is to add grace to the hearer, as the book of Ephesians says. To speak in such a way that adds grace to them. How do you feel when someone continually going on and on? And it's all dark, it's all negative. Now, there are some things that that's the reality of it. When we think about the future for those that do not receive Yeshua as the Messiah. I know it's not PC right now to talk about this, but Scripture teaches clearly and speaks in clear language that there is a heaven and a hell and there's a different eternity awaiting those who trust God and those who do not. Our society doesn't like that at all. God seems to. He seems to make that real clear in Scripture. That those who are ashamed of Yeshua in this adulterous generation, he will be ashamed of them when he returns, as Mark tells us. It's important to be careful which direction our communication goes. You can start out talking about good, wholesome things and it can go right off the bat. When you start talking about people behind their back, it's not a good thing. You may start out with good intentions to speak about someone in their situation. Then you end up being their judge and passing judgment and doing all those other things. Be careful, because he who created the ear can hear. In fact, let me put it this way. He does hear. So it's important to be careful which way we allow our conversations to go. It's important that our communication, when we're speaking to someone, it should be on topic and not like scattershot. Have you ever talked with someone and they, they start talking to you here and then they bring you over here and then they bring you down there and then up there and over there and then over there? And you're left here thinking, "Oi, Gavault, what were they talking about? Be sure you stay on topic. You know, um, don't, don't, don't be scattershot about it. Also, make sure that what you say is meant to be of help to those who are listening, to add grace to those who hear, that will bring them closer to the pathway of the kingdom of God, not farther away. And good communication involves good timing. Communication can be a powerful tool. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs says. And Yeshua said, by a man's words... Will he be justified, and by his words he will be condemned? Our goal should be, I believe, to use our communication skills in a kingdom-positive manner. Our tongues were not made to, to denigrate people and put them down. We want to encourage people, to strengthen them, to see them enter further into the kingdom of God and the things of God. And we want to learn to speak to others in a way that they can understand. Some words have pretty deep meanings. Let me say it this way. Deep historical meanings. I always think of the five C words. Five words that start with the letter C that have a total different meaning to Jewish people. Those five C words are cross, Christ, church. Christian and the last one, crusade. Five C words different they ring differently to Jewish people. They're often understood in a total different manner than they might have been expressed. And in some cases, because of some communication minefields, it may take some patience, some time, some repetition for a message we're trying to express to be correctly understood. It was first century English poet. He was the poet laureate of England. The highest poet in England. This is one of the things he said. His name was Robert Southey. This was in the 18th century. He said this, quote, there are three things that ought to be considered before some things are spoken. The manner the place, and the time. And because of such things like this, many of us have misunderstood things that have been said to us. How many of you can say you've honestly misunderstood someone at one time or another? I can. Now, how many of you can say you have been misunderstood before by others? How come more hands go up with that one? I don't know. But both of these are common human experiences. We, sometimes we don't understand, we misunderstand what's said to us, and sometimes we are misunderstood what we're trying to say. Now, there are fascinating two events in Yeshua's life that I want to conclude with and draw your attention to them. They're recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 18. They involve communication. Communication both of them, and I would suggest to you that Scripture does involve communication. The very idea of Scripture is God was able to communicate his word, his will, his ways to people. But the first event is found in Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 31. And please notice this, that Yeshua was speaking to his apostles, the ones that were walking right next to him, that saw him, that were there with him when he ate, that slept by him, that walked with him, that saw what he did. Here's what it says. Then Yeshua took the 12 aside... And Yeshua said to them, He takes these 12 apostles aside, his hand picked people who had been listening to him from the moment he picked them. He takes them aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Verse 32 of Luke 18 For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Notice the very next verse. But they understood none of these things. Not only does it say that, but notice it mentions it two more times in other ways. It says they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. So in three different ways, it says they just didn't get it. And I'll suggest to you that the problem wasn't Yeshua's communication skills. (laughs) There were other issues involved. They just couldn't wrap their minds around what he was saying. Do you notice how direct and pointed he is in what he says? The son of man will be, everything concerning will be accomplished. He'll be delivered to the giants. He'll be mocked, insulted, spit upon. They'll scourge him. They'll kill him. In the third day, he'll rise again. There's not a lot of theology thrown in there. It's just statements about what will take place, and they didn't get it. It is possible that you can be communicating something clearly to someone and they don't get it. It often happens when you try to share the good news. Something within, some have called it the veil over the heart, over the eyes of the heart, the mind. Something hinders the receptivity, the receptivity to the message. You may be stating it clearly, and I found, and maybe you have as well, that at times I haven't found many people over the years that came to the Lord the first time they heard the message. I haven't found many people like that. Most of us, including myself, had to hear it a number of times. You might say, maybe at first I, I, I didn't understand any of those things. It was hidden from me. I didn't know what those things meant. In John chapter 12, verse 16, we also learn at the time of Yeshua's triumphal entry, just think about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. that they initially, they didn't understand the ramifications of what was happening. They were right there, and they didn't get it. It says in Yohanan, John chapter 12, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Yeshua was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. They didn't get it at first. But a little bit later, sometimes with communication, there's a bit of a time lag between the expression of what's trying to be communicated and the reception by the individuals hearing it. I'd suggest to you with your friends that may not know the Lord, keep telling them the things of the kingdom. For some, it takes quite a few times to hear it before the the proverbial light bulb goes on. And they get it. I was one of those. How many of you can say it took you more than one hearing? Most of us, many of us. Well, Luke continues back in chapter 18. He continues. first example was he took the 12 aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And he explains everything that's going to happen. And then it says in verse 34 of Luke 18, They understand none of these things. They understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. And then the very next verse is verse 35 in the same chapter of Luke chapter 18. Then it happened, and you talk about irony in scripture. (laughs) Then it happened as Yeshua was coming near Jericho, Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. So we go from this last statement, they didn't get anything he was saying, then we transition in Luke's gospel, his besara, we transition to a blind man sitting on the side of the road near Jerusalem. And it says in verse 36, and hearing a multitude passing by, he's blind, he can't see, but he hears. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Yeshua of Nazareth was passing by. And so the blind man, it says, he cried out saying, Yeshua, son of David, Yeshua ben David, have mercy on me. It continues, then those who went before warned the blind man. They warned him that he should be quiet. So, what does he do, Dafka? It says he cried out all the more. He cried out all the more, saying, Ben David, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't change his tune, he doesn't change his message, he doesn't change his request. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there's a multitude of the people, and there's this blind man standing off to the side, a throng of people all around Yeshua, and notice what happens. So Yeshua stood still and commanded. So Yeshua stopped in his tracks with all the people around him. And let's see how wonderful our Messiah is. He gives heed to the blind man on the side of the road. That's a picture of you and me before we knew him. We are dead in our trespasses. We are blinded by the God of this world. And all those who cry out to him, he will in no wise cast them away from himself. So Yeshua stood still and commanded him, the blind man, to be brought to him. And when he had come near, Yeshua asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Yeshua said to him, Receive your sight. Your trust, your faith has made you well. I love this next word, and immediately, (laughs) and immediately the blind man received his sight and followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, they gave praise to God. So in Luke's Bessara, his recount of Yeshua's life, in one hand, Yeshua states clearly to the shlichim, the apostles, what's going to happen to him. And it says in three different ways they didn't get it. But this blind man somehow seemed to get it. So what were the secrets of this blind man's success in getting his message across to Yeshua? I want to conclude by offering you eight clues to why he was successful. Clue number one, the blind man heard the multitude passing by. So one secret of good communication is to be a good listener. He didn't shut out the throng around him. He was aware of what was going on. And we are told in Scripture to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to wrath, anger. So clue number one is that the blind man, he couldn't see, but he heard. And he heard the multitude passing by. Clue number two is that he asked what it meant. What this multitude meant? Now, that is a great question in a Jewish setting because there are various times, particularly the Shlosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage feasts, as they're called in English, that Jewish people would ascend to Jerusalem. Maybe he had his date wrong. He's thinking, well, is this uh, one of the Shlosh Regalim? Is this one of the main feasts? Are the people just going up to Jerusalem to do what they're going to do? And there's somewhat of an allusion to that in the text. But he asked, what does it mean? What what is this about, that there's a multitude? Now, catch this. If this blind man had asked the wrong thing, the story might have been very different. Suppose he had just asked someone, randomly said, oh, what's the weather forecast for today in Jericho? It never changes, by the way. It's almost always the same. Or who won the soccer game? That would have changed how this went. Or what's on sale at Kohl's today? And I'm taking his scene and bringing it to what happens with us nowadays. But this blind man, he asked what it meant. And he he wanted to receive the information that he needed. And he does receive the information he's told that Yeshua is going this way and he receives information that will eventually change his life. A lesson here is to stay in touch with your reality. Don't live somewhere else. Stay in touch with your reality. Clue number three. It says, and the blind man cried out, saying, Yeshua, son of David, have mercy on me. In other words, the blind man said the right thing in the right way. He could have said, Yeshua, I don't believe in him. Who is he? I don't want to hear anything with him. But he said, Yeshua, son of David, ben David, have mercy on me. Somehow this blind man knew that Yeshua was a descendant of David HaMelech. King David. And he knew that Yeshua was merciful. Somehow he had that figured out. There's so many things he could have said in this great, vast vocabulary that people can use. There's so many things that he could have said. But he says the right thing. Yeshua, son of David, have mercy on me. And you know, it does sadden my heart. That even some of the most learned people on the face of the earth right now aren't as wise as this blind man was. They don't even realize. They debate whether Yeshua was Jewish or not. They debate whether Yeshua was a son of David or not. They're debating, they're debating, they're debating. There's not a lot of debate with this blind man. He says, Yeshua ben David, have mercy on me. No theologizing of the event or anything. He just states what he understood. He understood that the king, a king, can't extend mercy to individuals. And here's a fourth clue it says, Then those who went before warned the blind man that he should be quiet. The story could have stopped right there, but at the very next phrase says, but the blind man cried out all the more. Sometimes in order to get our message across, we have to persist in expressing it. If you have friends that you're trying to share the Lord with, persistence may be what you need. You don't necessarily need to be bathed in obnoxiousness, but persistence, patience, persistence, And sharing that message with them, it's like a, you know, a a drop of water on a rock. Why do we have so many canyons and crevices in them? Because after a while, water has its impact. And the first reaction when we share may not be the final reaction of that person. Many people, when they first hear the good news and they hear about Yeshua, they don't initially grasp it or receive it, but they eventually do. Clue number five. And when Yeshua had come near, he asked the blind man, saying, "What do you want me to do for you?" I find that very curious. Of all the people there. He chooses the blind man, and he gives him the almost a carte blanche, "What do you want me to do for you?" And the blind man cries initially, Yeshua heard them from a distance. But the Lord heard, and then he drew near to the blind man in his need. The blind man, without hesitation, the text tells us, said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Friends, it is important for us to make our requests known unto the Lord. And there are many passages of Scripture that verify this. One passage says, you have not because you ask not. And then it qualifies and says, and sometimes you ask, but you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own desires. What the blind man asked for was something he really needed. Because if you think about culture at that time, the blind man was on the side of the road. That was almost a picture of his status in his society. He could barely do anything that could gain him a few shekels to survive on. People could pass him by easily. They could skim right by and, make, and you know, act as if they didn't even see him. So he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. So you have not because you ask not. But make sure what you ask of the Lord is really according to his will and not just to consume it upon your loss. Clue number six. Then Yeshua said to him, Receive your sight, your trust, your faith has made you well. You know, up to this point, the word faith or trust hadn't even appeared in this text And somehow in the midst of it all, the multitude of people, the the throng of people, the crowd, the, the cacophony of sound, all that was going on there, Yeshua, what does he see? He sees emunah, faith, trust. The word hadn't even been used until Yeshua uses it. And Yeshua revealed that it was this man's faith, his trust, That that was what was really motivating this man. It was faith. It was trust. Be sure that what you do in life is based upon your trust in the Lord. Do what you can to show forth your faith, your trust in the Lord. Clue number seven. And immediately the blind man received his sight and followed him. God's intervention in our lives, my friends... Should cause us to follow him all the more. All his provision for us, all that he does for us, all his goodness and mercy and patience, should rather than uh, we, we should want to follow him even more than we have. Include number eight, I really like this one. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. God's intervention in our lives changes us. How many of you can say "He's changed your life? I've had my hand immediately up for that. And it should be noticeable to those around us. If you say, "Well, I believe in the Lord and you're still going out and getting drunk, you're still going to do things you shouldn't do." Something's not right there. I think you would agree with that. But this man, he immediately, this blind man, he wanted to follow the Lord. We should never lose sight that God has a fuller purpose that's well beyond our own lives. He wants to use you beyond yourself to impact others around you. And he wants to use us to show forth his glory, to proclaim his good name, and to proclaim his Yeshua's salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, a question that arises... I wonder how many of the people in Jericho that witnessed this also became Talmudim or followers of the Lord. I imagine there were some that took a step back. Maybe those that had seen the blind man every day on the side of the road. They may have even thrown him a few agarot or something, a few coins. And they saw this, and they put it together this blind man knew that he was a son of david they knew that as a king he could extend mercy this blind man asked for that i wonder how many ended up following yeshua and i'll leave you with this passage of scripture second peter chapter three verse nine the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long-suffering towards us. Are you glad the Lord is long-suffering towards you? He's long-suffering towards us, and he's not willing that any, including that blind man on the side of the road in Jericho, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in all things you are glorified as we obey you, Help us, Lord, to be better communicators, particularly of your word to those around us. We pray for any family members that don't know you, Lord, that you will bring them in. We pray, Lord, for our neighbors that don't know you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself, that you'd give us the courage and the heart of love to speak the truth in love. And we also pray, Lord, that You would be glorified in this season as we enter into the winter season that you would be glorified in this season as you are in all seasons because you are the Lord of all. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for giving us your word, for communicating with us in the grand ways that you have through your love, your truth, and offering hope to us. I pray, Lord, for each person here that you continue to do a good work in each life so that above all, you might be glorified. And I ask these things according to the merit, the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H. Org. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.